Welcome to the Border Collie Gig Podcast. I'm your host, Martina, obsessed like you about Border Collies and dog training. Follow me to know more about this amazing breed and to learn from many inspiring dog professionals on how to make your training journey a success. Welcome, Border Collie Geeks, to another podcast. Um, today is a first, our first vet guest on a podcast, our first nutritionist. Um, today we're going to chat with Caroline Taylor, Dr. Caroline Taylor, um, vet nutritionist, um, slim pet vet on a mission to change the impact of obesity in our four-led companions. Welcome, Caroline. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. You know, I, I like to, I like to talk with any kind of, you know, professional in the, in the dog world, because people have to have, you know, a, a wide, a wide um, view on, on, on well-being and, I'm, I'm, and nutrition, we know from a human point of view and for an animal point of view, it's a massive part of our well, physical and mental well-being. So I'm really, really excited to have you here and, and discuss a bit more, learn a bit more about nutrition from a veterinary point of view, because I know that nutrition can be seen from many different aspects. But it can. And I also want to just clarify that I am a vet with an interest in nutrition. In terms of veterinary nutritionists in the UK, if anyone is claiming that they are a veterinary nutritionist, really they should be a vet, first qualified as a vet, secondary qualified as a diploma level holding uh, veterinary nutritionist, which is not something I am. So I just want to lay that out there. But what I'm interested in is really trying to clear up some of these myths and um, issues around pet nutrition um, that persist within um, the online space. And unfortunately, um, you know, people setting themselves out as a specialist. That's why I want to really clarify that even me, I'm still learning. I've got a huge interest in, in nutrition in terms of how we can make it easier for dogs to stay a healthy and fit body shape, but also, number one, live a longer, healthier life. Um, and that's where the obesity pandemic that now it's now getting up to regions of uh, 60% of dogs are over their ideal weight. And that's where it impacts on their, not only their length of life, but their quality of life are leading to multiple different diseases. And that's why, you know, what we're doing in the veterinary practice isn't enough, unfortunately. And that's why I put myself out there to try and tackle um, the, the, the level of, of dogs that are overweight. Yeah, what you said is, is quite is quite true. It scares me um, when I see shops coming up um, that make themselves expert in dog nutrition. And when you go in, they tell you, no, no, you shouldn't be feeding that. You have to feed this. And I understand it's a business, but then again, your business is to sell, but you shouldn't make it like a religion, like a cult. It needs to be, you know, it's either this or you're a bad owner because that's how to make you feel. And those people are not qualified to actually give nutritional advice. Well, you know, I used to work in a very well-known pet store that had a vets within the store. And, you know, people would be worrying and questioning me. Well, that wasn't what the girl on the shop floor told me. And you're like, okay, you're, you, you, you're listening to a school labor that's had maybe four to six weeks nutrition on the range of dog foods over someone who's had uh, 
over five years of uh, university training and then continued, you know, um, vets are brilliant. Why do we trust vets to recommend a, a food on when our dog is ill, but then not really listen to their advice on when our dog is supposedly well? And it, it seems to be, you know, a, a, a bit of a, a, a cross purposes there. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, if, if you are in doubt, definitely um, go and talk to your uh, veterinary nurses and your uh, vets within the clinic for further help and advice. Um, but if if you can't find that 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 help, then reach out and, and um, uh, yeah, find out more. Yeah, definitely. And it's good to have vets like you that are, have that, you know, that, that interest and that passion so that people can reach out to you and actually, you know, knowing that you've, you spend a lot of time researching that specific thing, because that's, it's the same as with trainers, you know, I can't know everything. I specialize on some things. And if someone calls me and say, I have this problem, some, oh, I have this breed. I was like, I'm sorry, but I know someone that knows better. <laughs> And I'll send you to that someone because, you know, at the end of the day, I think if you specialize, you can be better at that specific thing and then can say, yeah, that's not my thing. You can go to someone else that I know he's as passionate as me on that specific subject. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's uh, I, I tend to recommend and I think one of the most important things when you're thinking about food and what food to choose for your dog is choose one that is complete and balanced. Um, think about your dog's life stage. A lot of the time, um, you know, people come to me and say, oh, well, I've been feeding the same amount for, for you know, X amount of years. Why is my dog um, overweight? I'm, I'm following exactly what it says on, on the packet. But obviously the packet is just doesn't know your dog and doesn't know that your dog had had an injury two years ago or was neutered, uh, you know, uh, six years ago uh, and then you know had this other disease that was affecting them and and all their different you know the basics in terms of calorie needs if if it maybe it's not appropriate because even though your dog is active maybe they're not doing as much as they were when they were a two-year-old compared to where they were now they're an eight-year-old um really interesting like some of the data that's coming out of um like real life data from dogs pet dogs um, real life dogs, not in a um, clinical or very controlled situation, but these activity trackers, they're using that data. So big data to see how much activity your dog is doing uh, or, or different dogs of different ages are doing. And, and things that have come out there, things like um, if your dog has an allergy, they're actually be less likely to do as much activity whether that's, um, you know, and, and dogs that are um, up to two years, do significant amount more activity level than a, a five or six year old. And you wouldn't necessarily think that was so different. Um, obviously there's different breeds and different sizes of dog will, will have different um, activity levels as well. Um, but then when we look on, you know, that doesn't necessarily come across in terms of the recommendations. And there's often a really big recommendation you know, a difference between, you know, it says for a start, you know, 10 to 25 kilos feed, you know, uh, 110 to 250. Where does your dog come in, in that? So always they have the, oh, feed them towards a health, lean and healthy body weight. Um, but, you know, what, what is a, a lean and healthy body weight? And, and that's probably the one thing I do each and every month within my 
uh, slimline canine group is is give people the opportunity to to find out what their dog's body condition score is. Um, so yeah, I run a, a Facebook community, Slimline Canine, Slim yep. Salute for Great Dogs, and I also then have a, a weight loss uh, website uh, which gives regular tips and advice and videos and there's a a 12-week program on there so you can basically go from um, a to z of right okay what do i have to do step by step to get my dog's weight under control um so those are the two two main things that uh, yeah yeah we'll definitely touch about that again later and you're right when you say you know i have the same with my students come to me and i look at the dog and it's like "Mm, the dog has to lose some weight because the dog doesn't want treats so the dog has this and that and it's like well because your dog probably is eating more than enough and they look at me and i'm like what my dog is overweight and i was like yeah your dog is overweight you know and and i try to explain to them you can't you know you can't touch there's nothing you can definitely grab their fat and their meat on the side and then i show them my dogs and i was like this is a fit dog you know you, it's I, so useful isn't it having the you know because when you're looking around the park if 60 percent of those dogs are overweight then you know, or, you know, I, I have people coming to me and going, oh, well, yeah, I think he might be carrying a bit extra, but he's not as heavy as that, uh, as if, you know, actually you just want to, you can't necessarily deal with everyone else's pet, but you can look after your own to your best of your ability to keep them lean. And actually dogs can live up to two and a half years longer if they're of a lean and yeah. body condition. So, you know, it, it, it matters. Yeah, I, I have to say my old boy is 12 and he's on a special diet because he's got cystine stones. Um, so he's been on a special diet for four years and I researched and researched and researched, talked to some uh, vets that like you um, specialize or, you know, like as passionate nutrition. And I've been told that you're doing the best. Even if I'm a vet that will suggest raw feeding, you're doing your best for your dog. Keep him on that food. There's nothing else that can help that specific condition. And unfortunately, it's it's a food that is based on carbs because he has to be on low protein so he's put on weight you know i was used to a dog that struggled to put on weight because he was very very fit and active of course in the last few years his exercise has you know has gone down um so i had to fight a bit i have to keep that balance with feeding him a good amount because otherwise he's always hungry and exercise him enough so in winter he puts a little bit of weight on maybe a kilo and then in summer we managed to drop it again and he's fine now. He's, he's not as fit as he was when he was 16, six, six years old, but he's fine. He's, he's, he's a good weight. And I make sure I see, I, lo- I use harnesses as well as a, you know, as a, as a way of, I see when the harness start getting too tight. I know it's put a weight on and then I see that the harness goes loose again. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it is the collar, isn't it? That, oh, I have yeah. to change the, uh, the, the hole, you know, or, or we have to loosen this off or, or like you say, you, you know, do, you know, it's it's quite oh we do a bit less in the winter because of the weather and you know it's dark um but do you adjust your food according to yeah. summer and winter you know and that and the, or actually oh no we're probably doing a bit more training because we do and so you know the the those high value treats that are coming out or oh well well we can't do the normal enrichment so we give them a bone an extra bone um and and all that adds up doesn't it and it's sort of these little you know the the this it, it, just like us losing weight it's often not the big things it's not the food choice it's actually all the little extras that yeah 
more kongs with peanut butters and all that because yeah. they need to entertain yeah. themselves a bit more exactly. yeah great so i've got a few questions for you that are probably you know the, the basic question i know that all of this question will need probably an episode itself to go through everything <laughs> but we are going to try to you know to, to you know you're going going to try to give some answers about that and they're very basics because i think that as you said before out there online on there's so much information that people sometimes my own students get overwhelmed they don't know should i feed this should i feed that is it high protein is it low protein can they have carrots can they have this so i've got very basic questions that um i'm going to ask you and then you know anything else that we need to add we'll we are going to you know i'm sure that we will probably have to stop ourselves talking at some point um <laughs> Because there's so much to say, and uh, we can't make it a ten hours. <laughs> if it gets too long, we'll split I'll, it into. I'll have to come back when people have got, have, have, have got further questions. Then I can. Yeah, that would be yeah, that would be good. More detail. Yeah. Okay. So the first question I have for you is a very basic one because you hear a lot talking about dogs are wolves, dogs are carnivorous, pure carnivorous. So my first question is very basic: Are dogs carnivorous or actually omnivorous? Can they eat and survive on more than just meat? So what we know is uh, dogs are in the uh, class of carnivores, but this class is actually a really diverse group. So it includes things like the wolves and the dogs, also bears, uh, panda bears. Panda bears are exclusively vegetarian. They don't eat any meat, even though they're in the carnivora class. So it's a very sort of broad group and it's just the way that things have been classified and put together. So um, there's there's a lot of this, oh, do I need to go back to the ancestral diet? It, like you say, the wolf diet, that's the natural um, uh, diet for dogs. But actually that is um, false. Uh, so dogs are omnivores, so they can, they have adapted. And we know this because the dog genome has been, um, uh, sequenced uh, some time ago now um, and uh, interestingly you know just like us we've got what is it something like 95% of of our genes the same as uh, uh, a banana the same as uh, a chimpanzee yeah but what is interesting is looking at those differences between the genome and in dogs unsurprisingly a lot of the differences I think there's something like 20 different um, specific uh, changes that they've identified. About half of those change the behavior that dogs have uh, to people. So they're friendlier, um, their socialization window is a lot extended compared to uh, wolves, um, and they're much more puppy-like, uh, their coat is different, um, and that becomes more puppy-like, uh, and they're much more evolved, this happened tens of thousands of years ago, evolved to live more closely alongside humans. And rather than the hunting, they would be much more into the scavenging behavior. Some of you might well appreciate that who are listening. Uh, you know, your dog is very much geared to where can I get this little bit of extra meat, whether it's stealing, you know, um, things under the bush that people have, have left. It's within their genes to, Go, uh, to, to do that behavior. Um, so sometimes it means that's what we can identify and, and whether it's um, scent work or uh, different enrichment we're doing to actually find 
um, to, to use that uh, scavenger behavior. Um, the other half of those changes is the change that dogs have to actually digest starch and carbohydrate. So they are perfectly able to digest starch and carbohydrate. Um, I'm actually researching at the moment about a specific blog on vegetarian, vegan um, and insect protein diets, these alternative um, protein sources. And I think this is the time for a little bit of caution, even though we know a complete diet includes protein, carbohydrate and fat. Um, at different proportions um, and, and it can be there's certainly minimum standards of protein there isn't in uh, th there's no maximum standard to say that there's no maximum on any dog food to say this is a maximum level of protein but I might go into that later about why high protein or low protein or, 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 or what it, uh, yeah. what we, we need to aim for um, but, but dogs can uh, digest uh, carbohydrate and it can be a really useful source of fiber certainly from my point of view um, when we're looking to uh, try and reduce the amount of calories within the food and obviously keep an eye on the cost as well can be a really useful way of adding and, and certain carbohydrates linoleic acid is a really good one uh, that only comes from vegetable sources um, so that can be uh, really useful um so can I, I ask I, you sorry can I ask you a question so dogs can eat apart from carbohydrates they can eat grains as well all sorts of grains. grains there are I know there's a lot of uh, a, you know huge amount of marketing on dog foods to say this is grain free you know as is if it's a good thing many many dogs can perfectly well digest grains there obviously are a rise just like there are in us in terms of allergies um uh, but most of the time, those allergies in dogs are related to the protein source. So most commonly, it's beef, it can be chicken, uh, lamb, sometimes pork. That's why it may well be that you'll notice some dogs doing better, maybe on a raw food, because they're using, you know, venison or kangaroo or some different protein. So there may have been, you know, a lot of the time in commercial products, you know, both tinned and um uh, uh, kibble um, they can be using a mix of sources they will sometimes use a meal based rather than the actual fresh chicken uh, but uh, it can be that actually that meal is actually much lower in water content so if you're using chicken breast in a recipe actually it's only 25% protein the rest is water 75% water so what if it's if that's then processed into a kibble all that water is lost and then you're only getting that 25 percent protein so actually whereas a meal source is actually so salmon meal or or, or, or into a an ingredient is actually much higher in protein so just because it's a sort of fresh you know uh, uh ingredient doesn't necessarily relate to a higher level of that um it, within the final um, product so yes dogs can eat grains we do need to be careful though um and this is where you know at the moment even though we have got supposedly complete and balanced foods both vegan and vegetarian um if that there obviously is this ongoing uh, problem with uh, dcm which is a heart condition of dogs um there's obviously lots of genes that can relate to this um but even in some of these um 
uh, complete diets that are available, if they're using lentil or pea protein or legumes within the diets, even though they're balanced in terms of nutritional status on when you're looking at the chemical analysis or the nutrient analysis by computer formulation, often these diets aren't actually fed to dogs before they're in that testing process. Only it's very expensive to do the gold standard of testing, actually feed them to dogs and look at what dogs produce. And they actually are doing exactly that. They feed the diet to the dog and then they analyze the poop. Uh, for many, many months. Um, and they actually do that to see what is then left within the feces and, and what then the dog has absorbed. And, and there's an issue with some of these uh, lentil or pea legume diets. Into, even though they're balanced, why can that dog not digest and absorb some of those amino acids? And the amino acid we worry about with DCM is taurine. But then, you know, we know, I mean, there's a whole Facebook group to, devoted to this, DCM and dogs, um, if you're worried about does my diet meet standards. Um, and the problem is that, it, yes, it does meet those standards, but something is happening within the dogs that it's, it's it causing this um, major, obviously, heart disease. Um, and then when fed onto a complete diet that hasn't got these um, ingredients in, um, it can reverse the heart disease. So um, I'm still uh, on the fence, really, not necessarily, particularly for um, dogs that need to lose weight because we want a protein level that's really reasonably moderate to high protein that we know because we have to feed them at much lower levels than the necessarily the recommendations sometimes on the bag. So I wouldn't necessarily go for, for a vegetarian diet for a dog that needs to lose weight. Insect protein has really interesting is, is a really interesting one because, um, you know, certainly they'll, they'll be using the little grubs of insects. Uh, so a bit like, you know, rather than using prawns or, you know, it, uh, that, that, that sort of thing, it's, it's, it's the, the larva that they're using. Um, and that might be a really good, in, in terms of environmental uh, production, a really good way of, of um, balancing, um, providing really good high quality protein um, and yeah. amino acids, but but without um, the the problem of the greenhouse gases production. Yeah, and we looked into the into the into the we are, we are very we try to be as environmentally friendly as possible, and yeah, we we try to eat less meat, not because of just a health reason, but you know, try to help the environment and everything. And we looked into it with the dogs. At the moment, it's so expensive, dog food based on um, insect protein that we couldn't feed all six dogs. Um, but it's definitely something that I think, you know, is, is going to be, especially dogs, as you say, come from uh, having meat-related intolerance. Um, you know, it's that's the other alternative protein yeah, in fact, source. Yeah, some that... of the diets that are produced by, you know, some of the big, big um food brands for allergy are actually um vegetarian yeah. um so you know and they're going through they are using the food feeding trials so we know that they are safe um yeah uh, for, for long-term use yeah um what was i going to ask you had a question oh yeah we're talking about le legumes which is quite interesting so yeah i've read all the you know article about about this and i've noticed an increment in using of lentils and peas in all the dog food and i try as much as possible to avoid it so i stay in those brands that don't have it although they're not of course vegetarian diets it's still meat uh, still protein based um 
dry food but i do i do try it i don't know it, it does it does seems to me that adding peas and lentils a bit everywhere to keep the protein level up but having less expenses from a production point of view is not what i want for my dogs i don't know it's it might, it might be wrong it might not hurt them but i try to keep with those brands and of course that I know in the that uk i can you know there's a lot of concern over oh well this dog food has got meat and animal derivatives you know why why have they done that often it's because of the labeling they're changing the protein source depending on what is available from the abattoirs Uh, and so it's too expensive to change the labeling every week or every month. So that that's why they won't specify the protein because it might well change. Um, but it's illegal to use food that isn't fit for human consumption in dog food in the UK. I can't Yeah. vouch for other standards across the world, um, but in the UK, it has to pass. They're not using diseased meat. That, that gets discarded and, and it is not used at all. Um, it needs to be, and, and obviously the cuts of meat and, and things that are used within the raw food, that's often what is going into, what is this meat and animal derivative? So it's it's the, the kidneys, the, the spleen, the liver, um, the heart, you know, food that necessarily doesn't be, could, could be used within the human food chain, but isn't necessarily um, as wanted because we want the clean cuts of, of uh, uh, meat available. So in some ways that, is in itself, you know, a more sustainable approach to dog food um, than choosing to, to feed this high cost, pure meat, you know, muscle meat um, in our dog foods in terms of sustainability. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So we touched a bit on vegetables as well. Um, so I know it's a simple question, but, and you know, the answer is probably yes, but can dog eat vegetables and, you know, is, is vegetables actually good? Because I have always this kind of discussion, oh, dogs cannot eat raw vegetables because they go out as they come in. So you have to cook them. And then you got this big cults that say, no, dog shouldn't have vegetables because it's not in their diet. So, yeah, just as we were saying, dogs are scavengers and, and Yeah. if your dog will eat it. Well, I, I, I won't say if, if, if your dog will eat it, then it's probably fine because dogs eat <laughs> everything that are really not fine. And, you know, obviously uh, we need to be careful of grapes, raisins. People think, think people, tomatoes are okay, but often not that well tolerated. Often uh, we need to be careful feeding scraps of our food because it might have onions in. And that can be certainly over a lot. Oh, well, my dog's had, you know, onions and it's not been a problem, but it's that cumulative effect. Um, and uh, uh, garlic, uh, any, any of the allium family can be an issue. So obviously, bearing in mind, there is this whole list of toxic um, substances that are specifically toxic to dogs. Other than that, um, fruits and vegetables are a perfectly healthy option for for, for dogs uh, to eat um, and uh, they, they can help add uh, fiber interest um, you know uh, uh, lovely micronutrients and antioxidants uh, blueberries strawberries all those sorts of things often they're quite high in water content so you know the the calorie content will be be, be quite low um, so really really good option for treats it might be that oh well my dog just doesn't really like them Um, so, so that's where sometimes cooking and softening them, um, even cats uh, can be persuaded, overweight cats can be persuaded to have courgette 
so yeah, they can. They, it's it it whether that softened slightly, you know, or or slightly boiled. If you find that your dog really doesn't isn't into it, then sometimes actually boiling up, uh, getting like a chicken broth and flavoring that with a chicken flavor can be uh, quite useful. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, my dogs will eat any vegetables and fruit. Yeah, and, and they're actually really good, low, low, low cost, low calorie option. Um, bearing in mind that anything over and above, you, you should provide 90% of your dog's calorie intake should come from a complete and balanced diet. So we know yeah. that. That's, and then what you can add is those, those vegetables are a really good option. Um, yeah. And I know I have a question that. Uh, yeah, about, you know, you say about 90% just come for the complete diet. And that's something, for example, I come, sometimes I have to, you know, discuss with my students because when they come to me and they need to be an intensive training journey, they end up having to do a lot of training. And sometimes training, it means that if they go out for a walk, they have to do training on a walk because the dog is reactive and things. So it's it's finding that balance for them as well, where they don't always eat that, you know, during during training session is not always extra from the diet, but it's included in the diet. Um, so it's, yeah, it's finding that balance where I don't want as a dog trainer to, sorry about the barking, someone is delivering <laughs> something. Um, but yeah, um, so I don't want them to feed, you know, 90% of treats and then having to, and then, you know, we know owners, they go home and they feed their dogs anyway. <laughs> so I then think- you get overweight dogs. I was listening to a, a, a session with Marge Chandler, who's one of the veterinary nutritionists, um, diploma level holder in the UK. And um, she was really, you think, you know, oh, if you've got a puppy, oh, well, I'll just add a little bit of ham or oh, they don't like the kibble too much. So I'll just add a little bit of, you know, fresh chunks of chicken on the top. And you think, oh, well, that's a really good, healthy, you know, really, you know, high protein, really good thing. Um, for uh, for my puppy but even doing that small little adding that little bit of topper if it's not a complete source of nutrition you can be unbalancing an otherwise healthy diet because calcium level drops down the zinc level drops down the selenium level drops down to lower than what they need to take in every day when they're growing so rapidly and all of that Uh, so you know and and we are seeing um, cases unfortunately of um rubber jaw where bones become decalcified because um there isn't enough calcium in the diet to actually um help them um and you know you, you worry don't you about uh whether this could lead to sort of pathological fractures and things like that but but certainly it comes down to you know that making sure that diet is is completely balanced and appropriate for for, for certainly for puppies yeah yeah definitely and but yeah i had I goes for them as well you know if you if you limit it and obviously what do you do if you need to train an alternative can be either using kibble mixed in with some of these higher value treats um using uh you know about sort of bonanza treats doing that you know intermittently intermittent reward not always having the same thing because your dog gets yeah. bored sometimes it might be you know little chunks of chicken sometimes it might just be boring kibble but they're getting and the numbers the smaller the treats the better because it's all about the number it's not about the size um and then using like a a part of your food whether that's raw or whether that's tinned wet food because it's much higher water content but you it's they're normally complete diets so you can use those in like a little squeezy bottle as part of um, or freeze them 
um, as part of uh, using them in training. That can be a good alternative. Yeah, yeah. There are nowadays coming up these pates, and some of them are labeled as complete. I haven't yeah. really checked scientifically. That's true, but they've called them complete. They should be complete, isn't it? Exactly. If they if they are complete, it very often a lot of these wet foods are they they and, and treats of course are much less regulated anyway than okay diets um and and diets manufactured for complete feeding or even but some of the tin food can still be complementary um so you just be aware of that that it's mm. it, it's not you know providing everything your dog needs yeah okay that's complementary you might think oh it's it's complements a, a diet that's fine that's it's good it's it's almost like a positive <laughs> yes but it, it means that you it should really only be used for 10 percent of your dog's diet okay that's good to know yeah yeah good and um so we we touched a bit on protein so let's let's dive into it so high protein low protein i, I know that probably there is not one answer but what is best and probably what is best depending probably what you what you need i suppose so yeah so i mean there's there's these i can sort of throw some figures out um to sort of or, or you know in general i think thinking about protein like i said there isn't in terms of diet there isn't a high level of, of protein guidelines there there's a minimum level that all dog foods need to or at least complete dog foods need to stick to um and that minimal level it's because just like us dogs need a daily intake of uh the 20 or so amino acids that they need it each and every day they can't we can't store those proteins if we do take excess then what excess of those proteins they're broken down into the constituent parts the nitrogen is got rid of by the liver and the kidneys and then the excess energy then is stored just like our intake of, of carbohydrate or fat was is then stored as fat so that's that's why so there's a minimum level and most um uh, dog foods we're looking at around 25 percent uh but 18 to 25 percent of, of protein um high protein diet we'll be looking about 35 percent so first of all just to give you some values there if if your diet is is about 50 percent protein you might think brilliant i've got a really high protein source of food here my dog is going to get everything it's needing well yes it is but over and above that 25% or, or 35% of, of your dog's needs, because obviously if your dog is burning a lot of muscle and, and doing like that, then they'll need slightly higher um, amino acid needs than, um, or if they're building muscle because, you know, they're doing lots of, of, of work, then they'll need that slightly higher level. Or if they're a puppy, they'll need that slightly higher level. Um, but over and above that, anything extra that's taken in is just, got rid of each day excreted and in some ways those high protein diets this is why a lot of the renal diets is is actually we yes we want a diet that's uh, a protein that's really easy to digest and take in because those animals are prone to losing uh, muscle if they're not getting there because they're leaking out uh, protein from their urine sometimes um but equally the higher protein they have this actually leads to uh, a high phosphate intake which can put this extra stress on the kidneys um, and that's why we, we give a moderate protein diet and so um, 
it's it's important that we're not putting extra strain on the liver and the kidneys if they are diseased. In a healthy pet, there's no indication that high protein diet will cause liver or kidney damage. Um, but certainly when our dogs um, or cats uh, kidneys are damaged, then then we control that level of protein. So just in terms I'll throw some figures out. Um, the minimum level of protein is 25 grams per 1,000 kilocalories of diet. Um, that's from the NRC guidelines. In puppies, that goes up to 56 grams per 1,000 kilocalories um, for puppies. And in pregnancy, it's sort of similar levels. So much, much higher protein needs for puppies than compared to, to dogs. And it's a little bit of a bugbear of mine in terms of, you know, you, you do get these diets that say suitable for all ages. And you're like, well, yeah, if it's suitable for all ages, then it's suitable for a puppy. But is that that probably is not that going to be that suitable for a dog that's sort of eight, 10 years old? You can feed it, you know, but it's going to be actually the, that protein level is going to be excess to, to that dog's needs. And it's, it's just going to put have to 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 lead to sort of extra um, those extra calories of that protein is, is just going to be um stored as as uh, fat if uh if, if it's not used by the body each and every day and i suppose it's not just about the protein puppies and needs different amount of calcium and anything they else do. absolutely there's the there's the very different um protocols that they need to to follow for puppy diets in terms of those uh, minerals um as well as those macronutrients that i was talking about yeah yeah, yeah. so um yeah, and so we touched. Senior, we can touch. Yeah, on senior, senior, exactly. Senior yeah, are often, you know, in general, um, and and look, you you have to look at this sometimes because it might be you've got a senior dog that's still doing, you know, five k, uh, uh, runs twice a week. You know, it, just because an age is so, you have to adjust that. But most senior diets will be lower fat, uh, because the the so. Fat is is uh, nearly three times as calorific as as um, uh, protein and carbohydrates, so it, it will lower that um, uh, uh, amount of calories that are in the diet, um, and it will normally have slightly uh, more moderate levels of, of protein um, as well because um, they're not doing that they're not as active in general. Um, uh, so so yeah, usually seeing a diet from from around eight years of age is is suitable um but you know like i say if your dog is very very active um, at that age then actually keep it maintaining them on an adult maintenance diet might be more appropriate for them yeah so i have another big question that's related to um protein and fat and everything so is there any actually scientific evidence that higher carbohydrates or higher protein can influence on dog behaviors Ah, oh, yeah, no, that is interesting. Now, and I know there's a lot of sort of that this is an area where, oh, well, people will say this high protein diet has caused my dog to do this or, oh, I put my dog on a high protein diet and it was much, much better. And actually, in terms of the scientific studies behind this, there isn't any links so far that we've found in the scientific studies. There have been studies done that have compared low protein and high protein diets um, but when you actually pick that study apart, you could actually see that the pro there were some changes in terms of the behavior. Some showed 
you know, a difference, some didn't. But actually, when you looked at that, um, some they were testing reactivity to people and then reactivity to um, uh, other um, environmental stimulus and those sorts of things um, in terms of reactivity. But actually, when you looked at what the diets were, they were actually very similar in protein levels. So it, we, we, I can't, there is no um, link. Certainly, we know tryptophan is linked to the production of, of serotonin, and that's a lot of the karma supplements are normally high in tryptophan um, to try and help counteract any reduction in tryptophan in the diet. Um, so it's not listed on the label what level tryptophan is one of the amino acids that is needed in dogs, you know, along with arginine, histidine, isoleucine, leucine, and these other things. Um, and there's a thought that is in some of these diets is tryptophan absorbed differently in, in, in different, whether it's different protein sources or high or low protein. Um, but the only thing that we can recommend at the moment is, is supplementing with tryptophan and seeing if that helps. Okay, that's interesting, uh, yeah. There's, there's no, no effect that we can see on, and I would just say concentrate on providing a diet that is uh, complete and balanced and um, uh, moderate, in, moderate in, in protein at this level. Um, unless your dog is doing a lot of activity and then I would go for maybe a slightly higher protein up to about um, 30%. Okay, so I get sometimes colleagues that of course are, they need high energy, but um, activities, but they can't because of their activity. So they're right, they're always on a long line. Some of them are always on a lead, although I have to tell them we have to change that. They might go to fence fields once or twice a week, but they don't get that good hour walk where they run and they get their exercise out. So in that situation, going lower in protein could mean just that we avoid overweight or is that going a bit lower in pro lower? I mean, going from 30 to 25, does it make any difference on the dog need of exercise, the dog hyperactivity or not? No, not, no. not that, that we know of. And, and I mean, you know, it's not really just the protein that causes hyperactivity. I mean, I've got, you know, children who are primary school age, you know, and you can see it, whether it's an ice lolly, a bag of sweets or, you know, a can of fizzy pop you know, within 20 minutes to half an hour, that peak of glucose that has hit their body, they just can't help themselves but 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 run around. And you wonder whether sometimes it's the that energy that has just hit the, the dog's body, not whether it's protein or carbohydrate, or it's it's you know, oftentimes whether it's fat, it, it then it's much easier for carbohydrate to become absorbed as glucose and it's much faster than the okay. absorption of fat and um, uh, protein. Um, but you, you wonder which of those has, has, has happened so quickly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say it's all about a, a balance. Um, and um, uh, I think, yeah, looking at, at those other behaviors, what is then linking to that? Is it because, you know, they're, they've also in terms of the ladder I think of it in terms of the ladder of regression but you could say the ladder of hyperactivity as well because it's it's not just what's happening there in the moment it's what's happened you know 10 minutes before that dog leapt up and 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 jumped out on of, from the lead and 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 jumped up to 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 someone but you know 
the 10 minutes before there'd been bikes whizzing past and then kids playing and you know and and all those different sound you know that sensitivities that can cause this behavior so certainly you know you can look at um uh adding in you know that tryptophan supplement to help but the diet in general we, we there's no evidence that a high protein diet will relieve any of these symptoms or cause any of these symptoms okay that that's good to know because you know it's it's always you know you read one thing and then you read another one and then you know even people that you trust sometimes that you listen to them talking about a specific thing and everyone is biased at the end of what their beliefs are more than you know they they believe they've experienced something so that becomes the way they they teach others so you go to the sheepdog people they say to you that protein makes border collie go crazy so border collie should be on a low protein diet and then of course you go to the one that train for high level like competition or even high level hard you know hard work in a farm they are actually on a high protein diet because they need it to build muscles and keep working um, so I think, you know, it's, it's, it's often, and I get sometimes my students saying, oh, you know, I got my puppy from the farmer and the farmer said to feed this because otherwise they go crazy and, and all that. So sometimes he's tried to explain, you know, give, give actually a scientific kind of, it's good to have, you know, some scientific kind of, um, either it's not a scientific thing, we don't know for sure, try this yeah. and see if it works or this is a paper that says that we find out this thing is, is always good to have kind of yeah and i find with my dogs i tried everything uh, they were on raw they have been on um, different type of high protein no grain food thinking that that was the best thing for them and now they are on a good quality they the the, the one that have no issues there on simpson which is i find the one that i like best because of what it is in there there's no peas or anything and then the one that have pathologies they are on specific diets i've got two unfortunately that have to be on specific diets one because as i said already cystine stone and my young one unfortunately has um digestive problems serious digestive problems mm. so we are trying to find a food that agrees with him and hopefully we found one now because it's not had a flare-up for a long time well for a long time we are still not a month in so we're hoping that's the right one um but yeah it, it is what works with your dog as well at the end as long as it's complete as long as it's good quality every dog probably has different needs exactly you know and you know i i you know a lot of it is um you know the quality of dog food that we have across the the range now is so much better than it was even you know 20 years ago and and dogs are living a lot longer and cats are living a lot lot longer than they ever used to um so you know whatever you can afford you know choose really i think the difficulty is choosing the best quality you can because usually the quality is related to the the cost of the ingredients but then bearing in mind, you know, a huge amount of the expense of dog food is all in the marketing. Um, so, you know, it's it's it, it choosing something that you, and really, you know, when it says things like human grade or something on the label, I'm like, well, that that's not all that. You can actually write that on every single dog food in the UK because all dog food is from human grade ingredients you know, yeah it's illegal to use anything that isn't 
of that standard. So, you yeah. know, some of you to sort of see through some of that marketing is really useful. But yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I have fed my dog. I've, I've got a Stabyhune, so he's quite a rare breed. And I always think he's, he's a bit like a Collie, um, but they have a black face. Um, uh, really popular in, um, uh, well, they, they're, they're from Holland. And there is a growing um, breeding contingent here in the UK, um, but yeah, they're, they're they're designed for all different um, you know herding as well as um, uh, retrieving. A real versatile breed, family dog. That's that's definitely what our dog is. Um, uh, but um, yeah, he was on raw initially, and just the ease with a young family. I found you know there was that one time when we just got a new supply of the raw. And then someone left the fridge to freeze the door open and we ended up having to discard, you know, vast quantities of it because, you know, obviously we couldn't, you know, be sure it was safe. Um, and um, it was just easier for me to use, uh, yeah, good quality um, kibble diet. And then, you know, he got a bit bored of it. So, you know, we added a bit of wet food every now and then as well. You know, sometimes giving bones, you know, really good, you know, just variety. It, tend to avoid scraps and, and uh, uh, you know, other, and, and we use, you know, different things for, for training. But in terms of, you know, which one is better, the, I think, you know, they're probably, you know, there's a huge, you know, I think social media has got a lot of in the divisions, but, you know, it's perfectly reasonable. Any of the choices you make, as long as it's complete and balanced and safe, in terms of you know formulation quality control these are the sorts of things you should be thinking about um safety yes there's recalls on dry food there's there's high, higher levels of, of recall on on some of the the raw diets and in terms of you know sometimes those recalls have been because of um uh, tb uh, you know cats have died because they fed a certain raw food it was a venison um source uh that was contaminated unfortunately with with tb and it does happen um but the systems in place are there um the, to educate those uh, and, and inform those who who purchased it um but i think absorption you know just because it's got those ingredients in we've talked about you know different legumes and peas you know those are the things you want to be looking at you know and obviously specifically then for your dog if you think they might be sensitive to a certain protein, you know, picking a single protein source or or even, you know, discussing your vet using some sort of hypoallergenic food for a period of time um, rather than just going, oh, well, I'll just feed it chicken and rice for six months. That's not going to be appropriate um, longer term. Um, you know, it, I think that's where, you know, I come in with, you know, trying to give that balance of, you know, diets that are available prescription obviously the the cost of those because of the r&d that goes into these diets is often a lot higher so are there alternative commercial diets that are going to be suitable and that's where you know i can help you with looking at those ingredients you know what you've got on the ingredients list sort of you know not necessarily looking at, at so much the marketing side of things uh, but actually looking at digging down into is this appropriate for your dog at their current life stage um and and that's where you know it, it, a lot of the confusion lies doesn't it i have a controversial question for you which probably um so 
would you suggest more a diet that had trials on than a diet so like pre-made food that has been trialed rather than a brand that comes out of nowhere without being trialed on dogs before well there's this sort of term known as sort of boutique diets and i think there's also a lot of this push isn't there to sort of oh well you know i'll i don't want to use a diet that so i'll i'll pick a recipe and, and make a homemade diet um but one of the 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 problems um, that we see most commonly is in homemade diets that even though they're following a recipe, there's studies that have been done and vets and veterinary nurses and, and um, health, uh, dog professionals created these recipes. They then looked at the product and they varied so widely with what, even though they were following that recipe um, because of, oh, maybe they were slightly different on the scales or they didn't have you know chicken breast they use chicken thigh or you know all all these different you know slight varieties um that you know and when you're chopping and adding these different ingredients um or slightly altering the recipe maybe without even realizing um then that can be more of a problem long term so yeah these boutique diets that we call them coming from these companies that sort of just pop up from nowhere um, those I would be a bit more concerned about their quality control um, and uh, their safety record if if it's a company that has um, popped up from from nowhere. Um, you know, it's it, there's so many options now as well, isn't there? In terms of do I go for you know uh, the main things to choose are dry, wet, or raw? But then you're like, oh, do I go for semi moist? Do I go for frozen? Do I go for you know, do you know, do I go for the one that is delivered to my door? Do I go for the one that has, you know, actually asked me questions on my dog's activity levels and then tells me it's very specific amounts of feed each and every day? I would still be a little bit concerned, even though, OK, it's better than what, you know, the food packet from, you know, test, uh, supermarket brand is telling you. Um, but equally, you know, why are they being so precise? Because they don't know you know what you know often it says low medium or high activity level that can vary hugely you might think oh well, my dog's doing a lot less activity than it used to so i'm going to put low but actually they're doing a lot more activity than you know 80 percent of the dogs that are out there so you know that it, it's not the the questions they're asking you and not and they're feeding them into it's 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 still you know they don't know your dog um and so you need to in terms of amounts but also um what type of food it is a tricky time if you're swapping a feed over because you can think oh well i'm feeding the same amount as i was before but even like from my point of view in terms of weight loss diets you think oh they all have to be you know low calorie but the calorie content can vary like from about 240 um to you know 360 400 calories per 100 grams you know which it means you know even you're feeding a low calorie food uh, you know weight loss food but there's no um you know standard um approach and you know low fat can mean you know lower than 80 percent of their other diets but it doesn't necessarily mean that 
Um, it's when we pick a low fat diet for weight loss, we, we look at something ideally that's sort of 10 or, or 50, uh, 10 or 12 percent fat. But then again, that's dry matter. That's not as it comes wet food. So when you're looking at the nutrient analysis on the packet, it's all about um, as it's fed. But if it's a wet food or a frozen food or a raw food, that will be normally 70, 80 percent water. Yeah. So to compare that to a kibble and look at the nutrient analysis there, it's completely different because you have to make it it all to compare it. You have to turn it into dry matter. Um, so, yeah, it can be, you know, what it's. Uh, yeah, it's, it's I think in general, I'd be much more wary if someone was telling me they were home cooking their food in terms of balance. And I don't at the moment formulate diets for home cooking because of this issue there are uh, there are websites out there that can help provide a supplement to help balance food um it's called balance it um and you can put in your recipe that you're using and then they create a supplement so that you can use that and that as a minimum is at least a way to make sure your dog is getting their you know their selenium and their calcium and their um zinc and those sorts of things some people will say oh well i I swap the protein source and I swap the foods each month. So I know my dog is, is getting a balanced diet. Um, but if, you know, you're worried about balance of, of that diet, swapping, it's often the common things that are, you know, lower than those levels. So the calcium is a common thing. Um, the zinc is a common thing. So if, you're, if they're not getting that each and every day, even if you're swapping the diets out, it doesn't necessarily counteract the fact that, it might be all those recipes might be deficient in the same things. Um, so, yeah, the, I can recommend uh, both the raw formulation and um, home cooking formulation. Um, uh, someone who will be able to certainly if your dog has, um, you know, other needs like um, uh, cystitis or stoic bladder stones or, you know, uh, dietary sensitivities, uh, someone who can formulate. Um, I'll tend to use um, uh, commercial diets that are available because actually cost-wise that tends to be with, with weight loss, you end up having to stick to a diet for, you know, an extended period of time, uh, four to six months in, in general, sometimes longer. So I'll tend to try and stick to a commercial diet that's available that has gone through all those safety checks. And we know that it's going to be, be balanced because the problem comes when you have to feed it at much lower amounts than than you would normally um, and that's why it's really important to check that protein level uh, because um, that, that's the, the thing if they're, if they're getting under that protein level that can cause problems with losing muscle mass and not just you know the, the, the weight and in an older dog that can have issues with you know the compromising their mobility and everything. Yeah so that was my next question actually you already touched on it but yeah let's talk about your specific you know um, job so that the fact that you you help dogs losing diet so how what how overweight how, how overweight affect dogs life or dogs future so yeah it was a study done over 10 years ago and they followed dogs not for you know three weeks or three months or three years they actually followed these dogs as a lifetime study which you can imagine the cost involved and they fed some of these dogs, they, they fed them all, you know, to, they didn't really um, start the study until they were fully grown. 
Um, and then they fed some of these dogs um, ad lib and some of these dogs 80% um, of that ad lib amount. And then they followed these, you know, the, the average of those ad lib dogs were having, um, they fed them, you know, a, a lower amount than that. And, and, and then those ad lib dogs, they didn't get ad lib forever, um, but they, they then had that, that, the amount they were having. Um, and they looked at the difference of those disease uh, categories that they had over their lifetime. And the dogs that were fed um, uh, that higher amount or the, the standard amount um, at, compared to those dogs that were fed 70, 80%, it was around 70, 80% restricted of that amount. The, the, the difference was in their body condition score from about uh, four or five out of nine is normal body condition score. So, so the, the, and, and the ones that had that higher amount of food throughout their lifetime, were around six or seven um, body condition scores. So they weren't even hugely overweight, um, but the difference came in when arthritis appeared and it was sometimes around five or six um, in these heavier dogs compared to the lean dogs, they weren't getting signs until they were more like um, double figures, um, eight, nine. Um, so quality of life was affected much earlier. Um, the risk of disease, all sorts of different diseases, not just um, arthritis, but diabetes, heart disease. Um, uh, in, in females, uh, there's much more risk of uh, cystitis and urinary issues um, if, if they're overweight than if they're not. But most significantly, and this has been then corroborated by other studies that have looked at, at weight and, and age of life, um, yeah, these, these old, older dogs lived an average of two years longer um, than, than the ones that were um, uh, over their ideal weight. I mean, that is- Which in dogs is massive under <laughs> two years. Yeah, yeah. so it, it, exactly. So quality of life, pain, obviously, arthritis is one of the most common things. And actually sometimes just losing that weight can make them less, not only less likely to experience the pain, but less likely to then need the painkillers and they can manage without them. And then you haven't got the side effects of the painkillers and all of that to have to cope with. But obviously, you know, people think, oh, well, it's free to get your dog to lose weight. It is free, but it doesn't mean there is some cost because it does take effort. It does take time. It does take, you know, sometimes not, it's not yourself, it's family members that you need to persuade and actually, you know, just go, oh, you know, oh, does it really make that much difference if they have this sausage up on the barbecue and that? But over time it does. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I started it about a year and a half ago now and it was sort of coming out, we were coming out of lockdown and I, was st I'm, I still do a lot within the clinic and I, I also do um, some training to vets on, on ultrasound and, and laser, but it, I felt that what we could do in, in practice was not what people needed. And, and that's reiterated to people I talk to um, online and people I work with that, you know, it's almost feels like a bit shaming when you go to the vet practice and you get, oh, just feed them a bit less or, you know, or are you, are you giving them extra treats or often you're, you're already cut them down hugely from what you were feeding and they just stay the same or even go up on the scales. And, 
Um, there's so many different factors involved. I try and take away that guilt, really, of uh, because you, you shouldn't feel guilty about your dog having, you know, skin disease or having to have certain medications that make them likely to put on pain. Or, you know, sometimes it's not even a problem that your dog has. It's because you broke your leg or had an ankle injury or and, and couldn't do the same level of activity that you used to do. Um, and so, um, you know, they dogs helped us so much didn't they during those really difficult months everyone got a new dog (laughs) (laughs) yes um uh but and and really you know we owe it to them to make sure that we we're giving them the best opportunities for a long and healthy life that we can and you know who and and that's the thing it's not that um you know anyone has purposely set out to get their dog overweight you know it, it's not it, that's not what you aim for but we like to show our dog love and we like to show you know have them as part of the family um you know the trend of uh, giving them a birthday cake on their birthday every year and and some of these things have sort of come over from the u.s where it's it's an annual event um you know dogs are part of the family now but equally you know, it's those same um, issues. We don't want to have to say no, uh, but just like if, um, you know, our child was um, uh, struggling with um, being overweight, it's, you know, just because our dog wants this or that, we sometimes have to be the parent. We have to be the one to set those boundaries and we have to be the one to make those decisions and make those changes. It's within our power to do that. it's, but, you know, it does mean sometimes, you know, interacting. Oh, my dog's gone off now. I think someone must be at the door. Yeah, um, don't worry. It's fine. It's a dog <laughs> podcast, so we're fine. Um, uh, altering, you know, the way uh, that we um, deal with uh, our dog's needs and our needs uh, to show them love. Um, and, and, and actually understanding that actually a lot of the time it's environmental factors. It's the fact that we, you know, suddenly we could only walk our dog for half an hour every day. Um, and that's part of the reason. Also, we're working from home and we, it's not, we don't have the, um, luckily, you know, it's, uh, we don't have the um, ability to allow our dogs to bark in the background. They have to be quiet because it's a really important meeting. So I'm going to give my dog this extra bone or this, these extra Kong or, or these sorts of things to keep them quiet, to stop them barking. Um, or, oh, and I'm getting a little snack now, or it'd only be fair, you know, to, to give my dog something as well, even though, you know, before that, we used to leave them at eight in the morning and not see them until four in the afternoon. And, you know, they'd maybe have the dog walk and come for an hour and, and they were fine with that because they're, you know, they're quite happy to be sleep all day and, and run around morning and night. Um, so, you know, it's, it's often our lifestyle and our, you know, you go down the dog food aisle in the supermarket and half of it is dedicated to dog food and half of it is dedicated to treats and toys yeah that's true so you're like oh well half i'm gonna get but like half you know in your head you're like half should be food and half should be treats no 10 percent of those should be treats and there's no reason why those treats can't be vegetables and or popcorn or other things like that that are going to be low calorie so yeah that's that's where i'm coming from (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's good we're going to of course share your links so if people are in a position where they know they are struggling to help their dogs losing weight they know where to go so i'm going to share everything now just to wrap up 
everything, which has been amazing. And I think I'll have you back eventually to talk about um, maybe more specific things, because, you know, there's so many things that I would like to go a bit deeper in. Yeah. Yeah. But let's talk a bit about Border Collies specifically, because I know you, you had a few ideas about, you know, Border Collies are very active and a lot of my listeners have Border Collie that do specific sports. Um, so they do a sport, so they are athletes at the end of the day. So what kind of suggestion, what kind of things you, would you recommend for Border Collie owners? Well, I think it is really um, important to look at the making sure they're getting a good level of uh, a protein level within their diet, not too low, not too high equally, because remember, that's just going to be sort of wasted. Um, uh, in terms of supplements, um, I we do, there are certain diets now available that have the omega-3s, the omega-6s, we know those sorts of things are going to be um, still a bit on the fence of glucosamine, chondroitin, you know, uh, do those actually, you know, we know from humans, you know, that there isn't any evidence that, that, that they necessarily help with, uh, but, you know, they're the building blocks of the joint. Um, so, you know, it's not going to do your dog any harm to have those on a regular basis. Um, just making sure those supplements are as high grade as you can get. Um, and that just like when we were looking at the diets um, and going through a reputable company, not one that's just popped up and, you know, hasn't got any, you know, scientific backing behind it. Uh, but one that does one test the level of ingredient. I mean, um, really worrying, you know, that uh, some of the things that aren't regulated, like CBD oil, um, there's no regulation of what active ingredient is in there within those supplements. Um, so that's why it's very difficult to recommend it because you have no idea whether that's going to be of a level that's that's significant so looking at the supplements making sure that they're not just going oh look this you know dog chew says it's good for joints you know when actually it's going to be you know it has a very small percentage um, of that active ingredient present and that's and they're just using it in marketing and really it's just a, a chew or, or, or nothing actually particularly you know the standards for if you're giving a supplement i'd actually give that as choose one of the capsules or something mixed with the food rather than choosing a chew or something because usually um they're they're just using that the, the standards for um dog chews and treats are much lower than the nutritional standards required for um complete diets going uh, again i'm banging my drum about complete and balanced diets but those that is really the way to make sure your dog is getting everything they need um, uh, for, for long-term health. Um, obviously in, uh, in, in uh, 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 horses, there's always this issue with electrolytes and whether um, they'll sweat such huge amounts when they're competing, um, whether that, and there are more uh, products available as electrolyte solutions for that immediate post-exercise um, and, and actually thinking about that nutrition for when they're, you know, on the, the having those really active levels. And this is where raw diets, because they are so high in fat, um, you know, for that, that's why, you know, for exercise, uh, for dogs that are used for sled dogs, and particularly if the conditions are sub-zero, 
um, that can be those really high, often the raw diets are not only really high in protein, but they're actually really high in fat as well, which can be great for dogs that do have that much higher energy requirement. Remember puppy feeds, um, they're going to be much higher in protein, much higher in energy levels than standard foods. So that can be a really good sort of cheap way of getting extra energy into your dog using a growth type of diet with um, even though uh, pregnant bitches and lactating bitches are uh, adult dogs, uh, we advise feeding puppy diets for them um, throughout their pregnancy and during lactation because literally a dog can't take in, a, a lactating dog can't take in enough energy to provide that, that amount of energy that, that is needed for the puppies at peak lactation. That's why um, they'll often lose a lot of weight and condition uh, because literally they can't eat a lot enough and they should be fed ad lib um, as much as, as, as they can. Um, bearing in mind, obviously, well, perhaps that might be something to, to look at as well in the future, but uh, feeding for um, lactation and pregnancy and, and all of that. Um, but yeah, there are um, electrolytes, but it's not really a recognized uh, problem that dogs get, you know, tied up or anything like that, that, that in, in people, you know, cramps uh, and things like that within exercise. Um, so, so those are probably really hydration is more important than anything for dogs. Hydration, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and providing an electrolyte solution can help um, yeah. replace some salts, but hopefully help them. You know, keep. Um, do you often, you know, uh, flavor some of the things like a, you know, you're using flavored, uh, you know, uh, ice cubes, so like a chicken broth um, uh, to to flavor the water can help. Yeah, working call is more, um, I mean, once once you put them back in the car and they will drink, but a lot of them, if they're still around the busy environment, they wouldn't want to stop and drink. Um, so actually, I found in the past that having forcing them to drink with putting something tasty in it um, yeah. would help because they would be like, no, no, there's too much going on. I need to keep an eye on everything. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes they can't, especially my old boy, he was the one that he would not drink un unless I forced him to drink. So I had to put something in it to make him drink because he would be too busy keeping an eye on everything going on. So, yeah, using those sorts of things or even using like a, a wet food that you can make into like a slurry. Um, or, you know, in, in, you know, but um, and, and obviously preventing overheating and things like that, because once they're getting to that overheating stage, then they're, they're dry for, for drinking will at some point go, you know, usually they'll be seeking out water. Um, but, you know, that that thirst drive might might go if, if they're getting to a more critical um, yeah. period. So cooling them can be is. is yeah. Yeah, I have another big small question. Probably is big, it's not small, but yeah. So when when you're competing at all, I don't I don't recently I don't do much competition with dogs. But when I do, we used to do when my dogs were training quite a bit, and everything. You know, you'll get like, what can I do to help my dog? You know, having more energy that day, and you get all sorts of suggestions. People that say, oh, give them some pasta in the morning. People will say, give them some raw eggs because it's all fat. And uh, some people will say, just feed them more. So what is the general best way to help them? I, I, I think um, it's, there's no, you know, one thing in terms of, you know, there isn't, it's, it's about, if you think of a, you know, it's not what you do on that day. It's, it's how you've, you've prepared them over, you know, months, weeks and months beforehand. Um, you know, it's 
the the body is able you know if they're well um conditioned and prepared and actually i would think you know sometimes that poor performance um i would be concerned about things like um all that musculoskeletal um uh conditioning and drive and little niggles of pain or um those sorts of things if your dog is not performing as you'd expect I would be looking down the route of examining um, for um, injury or, you know, slight issues there because it can be so subtle, particularly um, in um, uh, working dogs at a really high level because the standard ways of, you know, walking them up and down, you know, they're not showing any injury. It's only the, that slight poor performance. And you're getting into the realms of poor performance in terms of horses, um, and, and looking at what happens in those athletes, you know, they have their back um, assessed and checked. Um, they're having uh, uh, their feet checked um, in terms of, you know, the shoeing and, and, and everything. Um, it can be uh, it really subtle changes um, that can make the difference. And so you you think it, it might well be pain somewhere you know a, a old injury that you wouldn't necessarily um find even on sort of standard x-rays um you know the the a, a dog i saw just this week not actually significantly lame um only just a little bit stiff when he gets up but when we did the x-ray there was a little joint mouse that you could see a little speck of bone within the joint capsule of the shoulder um and obviously this wasn't an athlete um but you know very subtle subtle signs we don't tend to do nerve blocks or of joints in in dogs um but you know it's it's sometimes actually you know getting your advice of your physio um or or, or and actually looking at, at sort of that sort of um you know following up on oh there's a little niggle in you know this left hind you know uh, and, and following that up, you can sometimes be surprised that there is actually pathology there that you didn't really realise. And obviously, a lot of the pathology, if it's soft tissue, it takes actually having to get uh, you know uh, a scanner out because you can't if it's not bony issues and, and wear and tear. You know, we just put it down to oh, soft tissue injury. Uh, but obviously, there is the uh, ability to actually diagnose those things now uh, with. Um, ultrasound but you know it's it's not done at your standard veterinary practices often uh, because they're all about you know managing you know senior patients really not so much about uh, but and and it's finding where that can be done you know musculoskeletal ultrasound is is quite a specialist niche area so yeah that's something that I would like in the future to to do a podcast on because I think it's, it's very important and yeah, it's something that I, I, with my dogs, I always look at, you know, as soon as they can't do something that I know they can, I'm always questioning, is there a physical problem that I can't see because they're border collies and they just keep on running, even yeah. on three legs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I go to a physio and then if a physio thinks we can't solve it, then you have to see a specialist because yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Great. Um, I think we talked about a lot of very interesting stuff. I think yeah. we, I think, I think there is, you know, there, there will be time to, 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 there will be more to talk about, but I think we, we gave people a lot of food for thoughts and, um, I will make sure that they can reach out to you if they need help. 
um, and they can, you know, they can find your contacts, your your website and everything. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? Because I know you had a lot of notes or are you happy? Uh, with... No, I'm just going through it, really. Um, and uh, yeah, just thank you so much for the opportunity, really, to uh, and, and uh, you know, certainly uh, I know we're actually we didn't realise until we got together we were actually local and and certainly you know looking at um I'm, I'm looking at developing um workshops and and um even if it's just for uh you know finding out okay what is my dog's body condition score and, and yeah. working on a plan you know to to and that's something that you know uh, we could look at, at working it if uh, with some of your local uh, members Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So just for remind to everyone that is listening, we are, well, I'm in Cheshire and you are Manchester. Yeah, Manchester. Cheshire. You're in Manchester. So yeah. So if, yeah, if anyone is local, even if you're not local, to be honest, um, nowadays with technology, we can reach everywhere. So yeah. that's good. Thank you very much. Thank you for Thank being you here so and, and sharing your knowledge. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. See you soon. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Border Collie Geek podcast. If you want to know more about my work and how I can help you with your Border Collie, visit www.datildoacademy.com or follow me on Facebook and Instagram.